Well, I wonder if you have uh, done any Christmas shopping uh, yet. If you're up to speed with all that, you'll be ahead of the game uh, in terms of uh, my timeline on things, if you have. Um, but if you're needing any recommendations for something to buy, um, one book that I would recommend uh, is, uh, is perhaps maybe not very fair to recommend a book by this author um, the day after England have gone out of the World Cup. But I uh, just thought I'd get that in there. Uh, but uh, 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 one of my favorite books by a French author, actually, uh, called Alexander Dumas, who wrote uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. And uh, it's a, an epic tale uh, about Edmond Dante, who, before he can marry his fiance Mercedes, he's falsely accused by a jealous love rival of treason, and he's arrested and imprisoned. Uh, his hopes and his dreams are completely shattered. The, the hopes of a, a life with Mercedes uh, uh, are destroyed. And what ensues uh, over the next 1,200 pages uh, is this epic revenge mission. Uh, shattered hopes and dreams can be hard to recover from. Depending on how we respond, they can have a profound effect on the direction that our lives take. And in the passage we're looking at today, we, we learn of a man whose, whose life is turned upside down, who was given some shocking news that would have left him with shattered hopes. We read verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Now, when we're so familiar with the Christmas story, it's easy for us to let that announcement pass us by. But just try and put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Matthew tells us that Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal was a bit different from our uh, sort of understanding of engagement. To be betrothed to someone meant that you had entered into a binding commitment to get married, a commitment that could only be terminated by divorce. But betrothal, it wasn't marriage. A, a betrothed couple would, have, would not have spent any time alone together before they were married. So you can imagine how devastating it must have been for Joseph to receive the news that Mary was pregnant. All the hopes and dreams of a future together were dashed. No doubt he felt utterly betrayed. This woman who he had trusted with his heart and that heart had been ripped apart. But he didn't just have to contend with a broken heart. He, he would have known that once news got out, well, then his own reputation would have been in tatters. He must have thought to himself, how could he ever trust anyone again when the woman that he had committed himself to had so cruelly broken that trust? One moment he had everything to look forward to, but now through no fault of his own, he was staring a future of shame, disgrace, and loneliness in the face. Betrayal by somebody that we trust is one of the most devastating things that we can experience. When our hopes are shattered because someone has broken trust, that can leave us uh, filled with distrust and bitterness. Often when someone's wronged, 
the, the temptation is to strike back, to go on the offensive. And that could easily have been Joseph's reaction. But the wonderful thing about this story, and the thing that, that actually gives us hope today, is that that is not the way that Joseph responded. Despite receiving such devastating news, that's not what he chose to do. No, instead, we read verse 19, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, that's incredible. Joseph's concern, it wasn't for himself. It was for Mary. His desire was to minimize the damage for Mary's sake to end things quietly. Matthew describes him as a just man. The Greek word there is dikaios, which uh, means to be righteous. And to be righteous means to be in a, a faithful covenant relationship with God. So, so Joseph was somebody whose hope was in the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. The promises that we were thinking about last week, the, the covenant, covenant promises of God that we, we see in the Old Testament, the promises of God's grace, of his compassion, of his promise of a savior. Joseph was full of hope that God's promise of a king would be fulfilled. And as one who had his eyes on that hope, he was able to be compassionate even to the one who, as far as he was aware, had betrayed him. Even though it appeared that a great wrong had been committed against him, Joseph was able to reflect on God's goodness and compassion in his own life and extend grace to Mary. Sometimes in life, we can experience terrible wrongs committed against us by others. Wrongs that leave us deeply scarred. Where does the power to respond like Joseph come from? Well, it comes from sharing the same hope. Hope in the grace and compassion of God. Hope that, that we see ultimately in Jesus. Hope that enables us to respond with compassion to others. So Joseph, in his compassion, was resolved to divorce Mary quietly. But he wasn't just compassionate. He was careful. He didn't act rashly. Notice verse 20. He took time to consider things. He, he slept on it. In the midst of a devastating situation, he took time to contemplate his response. And it was as he slept on it that he was given the full picture. Matthew writes, verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So God reveals to Joseph in a dream that he, he had nothing to fear. Mary wasn't guilty of adultery. God's spirit was at work in her in a miraculous way. And God gave Joseph the assurance that he needed to take her as his wife. The baby that she was carrying was no ordinary baby. And Matthew goes on to reveal his identity in verse 22 to 23, he writes, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now again, we thought a bit about this 
last week, the claim at the very heart of the Christian faith and, and what is central to the Christmas message, so we'll be hearing a lot about it over the next few weeks, is that this baby is in fact God. God with us. What this passage is saying and what lies at the very heart of our faith is that a little over 2,000 years ago, God himself came into this world in the person of his son, and he walked and he talked on this earth for a little over 30 years. The term that we use to describe that is the word, the, the incarnation. God the Son entering our world, taking on human flesh and living amongst us. And the incarnation, it changes everything. For one, it changes our whole perspective on what is possible. You know, there's so much in this passage that might cause us to doubt. Angelic visitations, virgin births, and you know, for many people, for you perhaps, they might be enough to dismiss the Christmas story out of hand. Because things like that, you know, our world would say they're impossible, aren't they? They're the kind of things that defy the laws of nature, the kind of things that belong in the realms of myths and, and fantasy stories. But if you have a hard time accepting these things, well, then you would be in good company because Joseph, he initially didn't believe in a virgin birth. He just assumed the worst. But if Jesus really was Emmanuel, God with us, if there really is a God who created the laws of nature, well, then he would have the power to suspend and rearrange those laws as and when he decides to. The power to make the impossible possible. And that's something that Joseph came to understand. His skepticism soon gave way to belief. So the incarnation, it changes our perspective of what is possible. If God really came, then miracles make sense. Our whole perspective of what's possible is radically reshaped. And, and if God really came, well, then that has huge implications for the way that we live our lives. You see, if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, then we should run a mile from him. Anyone who claims to be God but isn't, well, that's not somebody that you want to follow. But if Jesus really is who he said he is, if he really is God with us, and if the reason that you were created is to know him and enjoy him and experience eternal life with him, well, then the only right response is to place your hope in him, to trust him and to follow him. Either he's God or he isn't. Either he deserves our complete devotion as the one who makes sense of our existence, or he's somebody to be avoided at all costs. Joseph's response was to believe in the hope that had been announced. But it was a belief that would come at a real cost for him. It would have cost him his reputation and his rights. A cost that anyone who follows Jesus needs to be prepared to count. Now, first of all, following Jesus may cost you your reputation. Joseph and Mary, they, they lived in a culture of shame and, and honor. The scorn and shame that went with a pregnancy outside of wedlock would have been something that would have followed Joseph around for the rest of his life. 
You know, imagine being in Joseph's shoes and, and, and trying to tell those around you, Mary's pregnant, but it was the Holy Spirit who's responsible. You know, either they'd have thought he was crazy or they'd have thought he was gullible. His reputation would have been in tatters. The shame that came with identifying with Jesus would have meant that, that people who were once close to him would no longer want to have been associated with him. And, you know, that's the reaction that, that many people still experience today. You know, in the 21st century, in, in Scotland today, it's not unusual for somebody to experience hostility for their faith in Jesus. If you follow Jesus, don't expect your reputation to stay intact. Don't expect to be celebrated by society. It takes bravery to follow Jesus. In fact, for Joseph to have Jesus in his life, it didn't just cost him his reputation, it nearly cost him his life. We read later how he had to, to flee with his family to avoid the wrath of the establishment, King Herod. So following Jesus may cost you your reputation, but it will also cost you your right to call the shots. You know, we live in an age where uh, my right to self-determination is seen almost as a, a sacred value. To be free who I to be free to be who I want to be and to live how I want to live almost becomes the, the highest good in our society. But to follow Jesus, we need to be ready to give up that right. Now that was certainly the case for Joseph. When it came to Jesus, he had to give up his rights. In verse 21, the angel tells Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, I've mentioned before that I'm the, the middle child of three boys and my brothers, who both have very normal run-of-the-mill names, like to joke that, that my, I was the, the first and last opportunity that my dad had to name a child. You know, naming a child is a big responsibility and one that perhaps should not be given to everybody. But in that culture, naming a child was the father's right. It was a sign of his leadership uh, of the family and his authority over that child. Joseph was the one who would have expected to name his son. But the angel takes that right away from him. It's as if he was saying, you're not the one who is going to rule this child. He is going to rule you. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. You know, when you say, I'll follow Jesus, but I'm going to do it on my terms. It's as if you're trying to take hold of the right to name him. You're saying that you're in charge. But that's not how following Jesus works. Saying, I'll obey you, Jesus, but if it means I have to give up my right to decide things for myself, well, I'm not going to do that. That's not obedience at all. That's treating Jesus as an advisor, not as Lord. No, if you want a relationship with Jesus, you need to be willing to give up your rights. You need to be willing to submit to his will as he has revealed it in the Bible. If there's something that you don't like, something that uh, in his word that perhaps you don't agree with, well, you're the one that needs to change, not him. Tim Keller writes, we are, we are told repeatedly in our society that the one sacred law is you need to be true to yourself. 
that we must always work to fulfill our deepest dreams and satisfy our deepest desires. And so the Christian call is shocking. Modern people need bravery to give up their right to self-determination, yet that is what is required. If you want Jesus in the middle of your life, you have to obey him unconditionally. So Jesus is the one who names us. It's not the other way around. When we put our hope in him, we are giving up our right to rule ourselves. But that's not something to be afraid of. When we put Jesus at the center of our lives, what we give up is nothing compared to what we gain. And that's because ultimately, the reason that we can be so full of hope this Christmas is because Jesus came to bring salvation. The angel says to Joseph in verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, the thing about being true to ourselves is that sooner or later we end up doing things that we regret. Christmas can sometimes throw up those regrets, things that maybe we're responsible for or things that we have suffered at the hands of others that mean that this time of year can be tinged with sadness as we reflect on the hopes and dreams that haven't been fulfilled. And we only need to look at the world around us to see how people being true to themselves can cause incredible pain and suffering to others. A world where self-fulfillment has become the highest value is a world that has lost sight of the God who made us to know him and to enjoy him. And when we lose sight of God, then we can, only nev- we can never know the true and lasting hope that only he can bring. No amount of being true to ourselves will ever satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts. And that is the longing for eternity with the one who made us to be his. We were made to love God. But our self-love, our sin, has separated us from him. And that's why we need a savior. One who saves us from our sin. One who gives us hope. And that is why Jesus came. Christmas tells us that we have a Savior who brings true and lasting hope. A Savior who was born into our world and went to his death in the place of sinful people. Savior who did that so that we can know the forgiveness and the hope that comes with eternal life. That's where the true hope of Christmas is found. It's found in the salvation that Jesus brings. It's a hope that that lasts us well beyond a few weeks this year. It's a hope that sustains us whatever it might cost to follow him. It's a hope that reminds us that there is no shame, no disgrace that this Savior cannot wash clean. It's a hope that lasts for eternity. It's a hope that assures us that our past is forgiven, that our future is secure. It's a hope that belongs to anyone who gives up their right to themselves and submits themselves to the God who gives us so much more than we could ever lose. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you for the hope that we have this Christmas, the hope that can be ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, 
We thank you that uh, Joseph was willing to obey. He was willing to give up his rights and submit himself to you, to your will, to your purposes. And we thank you that we are here today celebrating the good news of our Savior because he did. Lord, we thank you for the hope there is in Christ that, that we can take hold of this year. And we pray, Lord God, that as we look forward to this evening and uh, sharing that hope with our friends and our colleagues as we gather here together to, to celebrate again, Lord, would you um, speak powerfully by your Spirit into the hearts of those who come. Lord, as we come uh, to the table now to take bread and wine, we pray that you would remind us afresh of the hope that there is in Christ. Lord, whatever we might be carrying right now, whatever we might be enduring this Christmas, Lord, would you lift our eyes from whatever circumstances and situations are difficult, and would you lift our eyes to the eternal hope that we have in the Lord Jesus this Christmas. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.